0: natural md radio your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now i'm dr aviva Ron. Hi everybody, this is Dr. Aviva Ram and welcome back to Natural MD Radio, your place for the truth in healthcare for women and children. If you love this episode, if you love this radio show, I'm going to just start out right away asking you for a favor. Drop a like, drop a comment, drop a share. iTunes loves the shout outs. It means more women get to hear about how to take back their health and how to protect their own kids as well. Today we're talking about an infection that has become much more prevalent in my practice. I see it much more often, probably because I've now learned to check for it. It's called Epstein-Barr virus, and today's episode is Epstein-Barr virus fatigue and Hashimoto's, how to break the cycle naturally. A few years ago, I had a wonderful patient come into my practice. She was in her early 50s. She has five kids, and she was exhausted. Now, her kids range in a wide age, so she still had a young one, a six-year-old, and she was homeschooling a lot of reasons for her to feel quite tired. When she came in for her first appointment, Based on how she described her symptoms, she had a lot of fatigue, trouble waking up in the morning, disruption of her sleep at night, she was losing some hair, and she had a lot of aches and pains in her joints, and some difficulty losing some weight that she had put on unexpectedly, even though she hadn't changed her diet. So naturally, based on those symptoms and doing due diligence as a medical doctor, I checked her for Hashimoto's, and her Hashimoto's was positive, but also based on her symptoms, because Epstein-Barr virus symptoms can be a mimic of Hashimoto's symptoms. I went ahead and checked her for Epstein-Barr virus and she was positive for a current infection. Now, Epstein-Barr virus is something that you may be familiar with from the term mono, or back when I was a kid, they used to call it the kissing disease, um, and it was really common amongst teenagers. And Epstein-Barr virus is a stealth viral infection, meaning that once you get it, it likes to hang out in your body. And a lot of times it just stays hidden and doesn't do anything, but certain circumstances can reactivate it. And that was what was happening for my patient. Epstein-Barr virus can cause fatigue, chronic aches and pains. It can cause depression, but it can also cause Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which we're going to talk about a little bit further into the episode. Unfortunately, the medical community has marginalized the role of Epstein-Barr virus in chronic symptoms really for decades. And and we just really in medical school don't learn much about it. We learn about mono certainly, and we hear a little bit about Epstein-Barr virus, but not as something we want to think about checking for, except in the patient who might Have active mono, the teenager or young person in their 20s who has swollen lymph nodes and fatigue, and sort of the obvious mono picture. So most doctors never check for it, and it leaves thousands of women suffering with these mysterious symptoms, especially the fatigue and aches and pains that they have no idea. Why? Further, it leaves a lot of women who are diagnosed with Hashimoto's with no knowledge of what could be a root cause for them. So when you go to the doctor's office and you get diagnosed with hypothyroid or Hashimoto's, the the answer is depending on what your numbers are and what your symptoms are, but particularly your numbers. Doctors are much more inclined to treat numbers in this case you get put on a medication, usually Synthroid, which is a synthetic form of levothyroxine. And you are just sort of sent on your way, um, maybe to get your labs rechecked so you can get appropriate adjustment of your medication, but sometimes even that isn't followed up on very well but a woman isn't ever really informed that there may be underlying or root causes that could be causing her Hashimoto's. Some of the really common root causes that are quite reversible that I've seen in my practice are celiac disease, gluten intolerance, significant amounts of stress, but also Epstein-Barr virus. So in this patient, I checked her for Epstein-Barr virus and found out that she not only had infection in the past, but she had current infection, most likely a reactivation. Over the past number of years, I have started checking many of my Hashimoto's patients. And in fact, pretty much all Hashimoto's patients that come in also get checked for Epstein-Barr virus. And I've been quite surprised at the number that actually have chronic or acute or recurrent infection. So what is Epstein-Barr virus? It's a virus in the herpes family and other infections in this family include actual herpes or herpes simplex virus, which is usually the forms that we get a herpes simplex virus one, which causes cold sores or herpes simplex virus two, which causes sores down below genital sores. Although you can get either herpes virus in either place. It also is commonly known as a virus in the chickenpox family. And so chickenpox, shingles, herpes, and Epstein-Barr virus are all in the herpes family. Epstein-Barr virus, as I mentioned, is especially responsible for mono. And most of us have actually been exposed to EBV, which I'm going to call it going forward in this podcast, at some point in our lives, Even if we didn't have mono or know that we had mono, in fact, about 95% of the population has already been infected. And most of us just go through our life as carriers, totally asymptomatic. We have no symptoms of it, never knowing that we have it. Contrary to the association we make with mono and teenagers, we can get infected with it at any age. The mono infection tends to be the worst when we're in our teens or early 20s, but you can get it at any time in your life. And once you've had it, it lives in your body. And it can get reactivated at any time now a robust active immune system can usually fight off the virus by creating antibodies and most of the time we just keep the virus at bay in our bodies we're not even fighting it it's just lingering in there kind of cohabitating with us but not bothering us but times of stress fatigue And going through major life changes even for example big hormonal changes like the perimenopause that time around menopause can cause us to be particularly susceptible to new infection because we can pick up the infection at any time reactivation of the virus and then getting symptomatic now there's been a connection that links epstein-barr virus or ebv with autoimmune disease, particularly a couple of autoimmune diseases, Hashimoto's and lupus, but it's also been associated with rheumatoid arthritis. It also has a lesser association with a type of cancer that affects the B cells called lymphoma. Several theories have been raised as to how these infections like Epstein-Barr virus and a few others, cytomegalovirus can do this as well, cause autoimmune disease. One of the theories is called the molecular mimicry theory, in which the immune system remembers specific proteins that make up the virus and then scans your body for similar proteins and then attacks those as a target. In the case of Hashimoto's, for example, the thyroid becomes a target as a mistaken identity for the virus because there may be some proteins in the thyroid that are look-alikes to proteins on the virus. And this can happen even after the body has cleared the organism. It's cleared the infection because the antibodies that were created against the infection are still circulating and still looking for targets. Another theory is called the bystander effect. In this theory, the virus enters the body's cells and the immune system attacks the cells to kill the virus. But as a bystander, the body's own cells get attacked as well. And the virus can actually stimulate the release of specific chemicals in the cells that it's attached to that kind of raise a red flag to the immune system, say, saying, hey, come get me, I'm in here. Finally, and importantly, When you do have a chronic infection, it keeps your body in a low state of chronic alarm, and this activates the stress response and the adrenal system, leading to further imbalances in the immune system that make you more primed to develop autoimmunity. What we do know is that autoimmune conditions are on the rise. They are especially common in women. At least 80% of all cases of Hashimoto's are in women, and, Autoimmune disease affects 70% of women compared to a fraction of men, and we know that autoimmune disease has now emerged as one of the top eight leading causes of death in women in the United States. So it's something that we really need to take a look at. We know that women often experience Hashimoto's or another autoimmune condition after an intense period of stress. So I can't tell you how many women have come into my practice after. For example, uh, a a long illness in a family member, and then the family member passed away, usually a mom, a dad, an in-law, and my patient was the primary caretaker. So they had months of poor sleep, traveling back and forth to take care of someone, going to a nursing home or a hospital, or having someone live with them that they were taking care of, in addition to the emotional stress of the loss, or someone who has had a trauma. Additionally, we know that autoimmune conditions, particularly Hashimoto's, are higher in women who have a history of trauma. And when we have a history of trauma, that tends to subdue our autoimmune, our immune system as well, making us more primed for reactivation when we have stress because that stress can trigger those emotional patterns that happen from trauma. Now, in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, I show you step-by-step step how a multitude of seemingly unrelated symptoms share one source, which I call survival overdrive syndrome. Survival overdrive syndrome is what happens when the body body becomes chronically overloaded by a number of factors that cause stress to our body. That can be obvious stress, like emotional stress or lifestyle stress, but it can also be poor diet, lack of sleep, toxic environmental overload, and chronic viral infections. EBV is commonly picked up or reactivated when we're in SOS. And when we're in SOS, because the immune system is already on overdrive, it's harder for your immune system to kick it. So one of the things I strongly do recommend if you have Hashimoto's if you have another autoimmune condition if you know you have mono or have had mono in the past have struggled with Epstein-Barr virus is go ahead and grab a copy of the book and if you grab it in real time while I'm in the active part of promoting the book which is right now in January if you're listening to this podcast in January there are some really amazing special bonuses that you'll get by being part of this time leading up to the book launching. But even if you buy the book at any time, you can still become a part of the SOS tribe, the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution Replenish tribe, which is my Facebook group where you can join in at any time and be part of a community of thousands of women who are working to take back their health. And one of the things that I have really come to see is that your doctor can't tell you what your doctor doesn't know, and having gone through seven years of medical training, rigorous medical training at Yale, five years at Yale, and two years at Tufts doing primary care internal medicine and family medicine, we're just not learning this in medical school. I've had to learn it extracurricular, partly because I was a midwife and an herbalist for 25 years before I ever went to medical school, so I was very deeply ingrained in natural and alternative approaches to health. And partly because I've seen so many women in the years that I have been a doctor struggling to get answers from the medical community and knowing that I didn't get those answers in my medical training. I've had to go far and wide outside into the medical literature to find the answers that are turning my patients' lives around and turning around the lives of the women who are doing these programs with me. So I'm hoping you'll get a copy of the book. You can grab it over at www.avivaram.com forward slash book bonus, avivaram.com slash book bonus. Or if you want to grab a chapter of the book and see if it's for you, just go to avivaram.com slash T-A-T-R. That's T-A-T-R for the adrenal thyroid revolution. So T-A-T-R dash chapter dash one O-N-E. So it's the number one spelled out, avivaram.com slash T-A-T-R slash chapter slash one, which you'll see the links for these below this podcast episode. So how do you get infected with EBV? Well, quite simply, EBV is transmitted through saliva. It's shared through intimate contact but also anytime you share saliva so if you take a drink out of your off of your friend's drink when you're going out to dinner together or you take a bite of food off of someone's fork or you're passing cigarettes or Passing joints, if that's something you do, and certainly kissing. Once you have EBV, it remains dormant in your body indefinitely. And then reactivation, when it does occur, can persist for months. Much like mono, which can, most people who have mono have symptoms for several months and then often notice that even for six months or a year later, they're more susceptible to getting sick. And sometimes people will even say when they got mono, it was a real start of a shift in their health. Symptoms of new infection and reactivation include fatigue, which can be very intense. It can be milder, but it can also be quite intense, aching muscles and joints, swollen lymph nodes, and other flu-like symptoms. It can cause you to feel blue or unmotivated, and it can even lead to outright depression. If you do go to your doctor and get a physical exam, if you have acute mono, your doctor may actually find that your liver and spleen are a little swollen, and that your liver function tests can actually be abnormal too. Conventional testing is readily available and generally reliable for looking for Epstein-Barr virus. What you do is you go to your doctor and you ask for a complete Epstein-Barr virus acute panel and a complete Epstein-Barr virus chronic panel. Don't worry if these words are unfamiliar to you, you can read them In my blog, I'm gonna put the link below, my blog is also called Epstein-Barr Virus Fatigue and Hashimoto's Breaking the Cycle Naturally. So you'll be able to look at these words and ask for acute, it's not cute like you're adorable, it's acute, A-C-U-T-E, which means sudden infection or a recent infection, and then chronic, which means you have it all the time. Positive tests for current infections will give you a very specific set of lab values for a very specific set of antibody tests, and it will show a pattern that says you have a new current infection. That's gonna look different if you have a chronic infection that's been reactivated, and you're gonna get positive results in a very specific pattern that your doctor will be able to recognize. Your doctor can actually look online, and there are diagrams that show, and you can look online, for example, too. There are patterns that show what your labs look like when you don't have any infection at all, When you have a past infection but it's not reactivated it's just dormant or when you have a new infection or when you have reactivation of an old infection so there are four basic patterns you can see no infection dormant infection reactivation of old infection or active new infection now the next big question of course is can you treat epstein-barr virus naturally and the answer is totally you can absolutely send epstein-barr virus into complete remission and remain symptom-free. Now, I know there are some people out there claiming to be able to completely rid your body of the virus once and for all so that you never have it again, and there are various therapies and techniques being used. I haven't seen that to be true in my own practice, so maybe there are other techniques that can help with that, but I don't know that to be true. I'm not saying don't try it, but just be cautious if someone is making claims that they can actually prove those claims. That said, you can send EBV back into complete dormancy and remain symptom-free. I've worked with people who have remained symptom-free for years and decades and have never had a reactivation. And as I mentioned, it's one of the most reversible causes of Hashimoto's I've seen in my practice. Now, not everyone with EBV gets Hashimoto's, although it puts you at much higher risk. Not everyone with Hashimoto's has EBV. But if you have EBV and Hashimoto's, it's really important to work on supporting your immune system to do the job of getting the virus back into remission and doing the job of keeping the virus in check. Now, in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, I give you a comprehensive protocol for how to support your immune system, what you can do with herbs, nutritional supplements, your diet, and your sleep. And very specific sleep is not just get more sleep. It's very specifically getting regular sleep hours in a set pattern that helps your body to reset your cortisol. Cortisol is the hormone that your adrenals produce that help to regulate your immune system. When you have the right amount of cortisol, it keeps inflammation in check. But when you're overproducing cortisol because you're in adrenal overdrive, or if you cross over, into adrenal depletion after a long time being in overdrive and your body's depleted, in either case, your body has a harder time regulating your immune response and you can become more susceptible to getting infections more frequently, having trouble fighting off infections, um, and much more susceptible to reactivation of old infections. So you may be getting cold sores from reactivation of herpes, which is another virus that stays dormant in our system, or you may have activation or susceptibility to new Epstein-Barr virus. So if you have Hashimoto's, I highly recommend getting checked for Epstein-Barr virus and treating it appropriately with natural supplements and lifestyle to support your immune system to be able to put it back naturally into remission. Now, you may have Epstein-Barr virus and not have Hashimoto's, so if you're experiencing any of the symptoms I mentioned, fatigue, aches and pains. You feel like you have the flu or you're always coming down with something or your body just feels like you're kind of always fighting something off. Maybe you get chills easily. You have periods of the day where you're just suddenly really draggy, tired, and you're also feeling depressed or um, low-level energy, and that's not your usual MO. Um, Or maybe you've been like that for years, but it wasn't your MO before you started having these symptoms before that you felt great, I would definitely get checked with an acute and current, uh, acute and chronic Epstein-Barr virus panel as well. And the same protocol would apply to you um, that's in the book. And I'm gonna give you a sort of basic protocol here, but I go much more in depth in the book. I recommend a four week getting really assertive with making sure that you're doing rest and repair actively. So it's impossible for your body's immune system to start to regulate itself and be able to fight infection if you're tired. One of the things that your body interestingly does when you are tired is it dials back all of your energy production. So it intentionally slows down your thyroid. It intentionally suppresses your adrenal reactivity because what is it doing? It's forcing you to rest. So when we're exhausted all the time, rather than just sort of figuring out what we can do to have more energy, we also want to think about what can we do to get more rest? What is your body telling you? Your body's telling you it needs to go into a rest and repair mode. The two best ways to do that are to make sure that you're getting restorative sleep, and I'm going to put a link to a blog on sleep below this podcast, but also my book is chock full of herbal and, nutritional and meditation and relaxation techniques that can help you sleep and nutritional may be surprising to you but not only are there supplements that your body might be low on that are keeping you from sleeping well but how and when you eat can also have a huge impact on how well you get to sleep and how well you stay asleep and whether you wake up with energy in the morning the other thing is we can't just expect to go full throttle all day and then hit the brakes at night and expect our bodies to go into rest and repair mode. We have to incorporate relaxation throughout the day. So whether that's every 90 minutes or 120 minutes, taking a few minutes to just hit the pause button, push your keyboard back from your lap or your, or your table, lean back in your chair and do some breathing, or at three, four in the afternoon, take 15 minutes do some stretching, get some water, and go for a walk, but incorporating relaxation techniques and self-care techniques throughout the day is important to tell your immune system that everything's okay. It can relax. It can start to fight the infection and not fight against your body, which is what's happening when you have an autoimmune condition. So rest and repair is one of the steps that I recommend doing very intensely over four weeks, every single day, The other thing, uh, the next thing is to nourish with foods. A lot of us are skipping meals, we're running on empty, and we're not getting the the vegetables that we need, the leafy greens and the orange vegetables, the dark blue and the dark blackberries and the good quality protein that are essential for forming the cells and the structures that our body uses to control and fight infection, so it's really important to focus very intensively for your di- on your diet for a month, making sure that every meal you're getting a good quality protein, whether that's an animal protein or a vegetarian source, nuts and seeds, which are very rich in fats and oils that your body needs for uh, maintaining cellular health, dark blue and dark black berries, so blueberries and blackberries. I recommend only getting those organic. You can get them fresh or frozen. About a cup a day. If you're having problems with sugar um, management or yeast, I talk about that in my book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, so I'm not going to go into that here. For you, um, you may want to have less fruit and emphasize the um, vegetables instead, but most people, even struggling with yeast, unless it's really severe, can handle the dark blue and black berries, and they, in fact, have a lower glycemic load and help your body to really strongly boost the immune system as well as detoxification and then last but not least in fact top of the list are green leafy vegetables so kale collards broccoli Brussels sprouts and yes you can eat these if you have Hashimoto's you just want to make sure to eat them cooked so if you have Hashimoto's downing green juices is not a good idea for you because these greens can suppress your thyroid eating lots and lots of raw kale salad, and once a week, once every few weeks, that's totally fine. But for you, you want to get lots of cooked uh, leafy green vegetables. So steaming them, sauteing them, roasting broccoli, roasting Brussels sprouts, those are all good ways. And you want to get several cups a day. Additionally, you want to get foods that are rich in vitamin A. Your big ones are your squashes, carrots, and sweet potatoes. Now you can juice your Juice your carrots and make a nice fresh carrot juice. And you can eat baked sweet potatoes and baked squashes. And interestingly, what I mentioned earlier about foods that can help regulate your sleep, having a a starchy vegetable like a squash or sweet potato in the evening as part of your dinner can help to reset your cortisol. For your evening uh, rhythm and resetting your cortisol for your evening rhythm means you're going to sleep better, but also, again, it's going to regulate your immune system, which is so important for you. You want to use herbs and supplements during this month that support the immune system but also help to fight the virus. So, immunosupportive, antiviral, and anti inflammatory herbs are an important part of this protocol. And I select the ones that have been specifically known to either directly fight Epstein Barr virus or Uh, Herbs that help with um, viruses in the herpes family. Not all the research has been done on these herbs and specifically Epstein Barr. So I have to extrapolate as an herbalist and a medical doctor uh, to what are going to be effective for the same family of virus, which is the EBV in the herpes virus. And there's a lot of research on herbs and supplements that help with uh, herpes virus family um, infections. So my top six go to in my protocol for just boosting the immune system and supplements that have been specifically shown to be beneficial with EBV are zinc, citrate, St. John's wort, lemon balm, licorice, echinacea, and taking a probiotic. I'm not gonna go into all the doses over here, but if you link over to my blog on EBV, you'll see all the doses for you there. And this is just a starter protocol. The full protocol is in my book. So grab a copy of that. And I wanna give you a couple of caveats on these herbs. Zinc, St. John's wort, lemon balm, echinacea, and the probiotic are all safe if you're pregnant. All of these are safe while you are breastfeeding. For licorice, you wanna be careful if you have high blood pressure. Although it's been extremely few cases Of anyone developing high blood pressure from taking licorice that is one of the cautions because part of what it does is it elevates your cortisol and that's how it's working in the adrenals it's supporting your cortisol is what I should say because it really regulates it but if you have high blood pressure I can also increase other chemicals in your adrenals that can contribute to high blood pressure so I usually leave the licorice out or use something called DGL licorice which is a form that you can use if you have high blood pressure. St. John's wort you want to be careful if you're on uh, oral contraceptives if you're on any immunosuppressive medications or if you're on really any pharmaceuticals I usually check say check with your physician before starting herbs anyway but St. John's wort is one you want to be a little bit more specifically cautious with. And then finally, I want to say a word about echinacea. You know, I got an email um, from someone a couple of days ago that said, "Um, Aviva, I follow you. And I also follow another doctor, uh, another woman doctor who medical doctor who writes a lot about thyroid problems. And her health coach over on her website told me I can't use echinacea because I have Hashimoto's. And I wrote her back and I said a few things, actually one is a health coach is you know a great asset to your health care but probably shouldn't be giving medical or supplement recommendations that's not within the scope really of what a health coach is trained to do but also this other medical doctor is not an herbalist and i've been an herbalist for 35 years this is my specialty i was 10 years president of the american herbalist guild i am the medical director for the american herbal pharmacopeia so i do my homework on herbs And what I would say to you is there are some molecules in echinacea that may be activating for some people with autoimmune disease, but that does not mean that all people with autoimmune disease cannot use echinacea ever. What I always recommend is start low and go slow, but it's a great antiviral herb. And I specifically, I don't usually put people on echinacea if they have autoimmune condition just sort of as general immune support all winter long. I don't think that's actually the best use of echinacea. The best use of echinacea is when you're actively treating a current infection. If you're not comfortable using it because you've heard that echinacea isn't appropriate with an autoimmune condition, don't use it. These other herbs, perfectly great as standalones and the other stuff, the zinc, the probiotic and these other herbs, absolutely appropriate on their own. Just leave it out. But if you do want to try it as a complement to your antiviral, anti-inflammatory herbal protocol, start low, go slow. Take the 300 milligrams, which is the lowest dose, and just take it once a day and take it for a few days and see how it goes. Then you can go up to two doses, then you can go up to three doses because the dose is anywhere from 300 to 500 milligrams up to three times a day. But I would say really the data on echinacea and Hashimoto's is more speculative and controversial than actual. And there are always gonna be people who heard about the reaction and then had the reaction. Some of that may be placebo, some of that may be actual. So I wouldn't take it off the table, but I did want to address that so you didn't think I was sort of like some crazy herbal doctor just overlooking sort of the elephant in the room. And if you do hear herbal advice from other people, look, you know, we can all learn a lot on our own, but there are a lot of practitioners out there who don't have actual training in herbs who are reading the basics and giving basic information. But, you know, for those of you who are a member of my medical practice, you know herbs are the front and center of what I do and they have been for 35 years. So, you know, there are a few people out there who have substantial expertise in herbal medicine, Tyrone Lodog, Tori Hudson, and myself uh, and then a number of many naturopaths as Tori is have substantial knowledge. So just be careful where you're getting your herbal information and um, and what you're trusting. In general, nutritional as as well as everything else that's out there, it's a little bit of a wild west in the natural medicine world. The final step, so, the, so far we've got rest and repair, nourish with foods, support the immune system and fight the virus. And the fourth step that you're gonna be doing in this month, and you're gonna be doing all these at one time, is to provide deep stress response and immune system support, and that's where the adaptogens come in. You may have heard of the term adaptogens, if not, I've got some blogs and podcasts for you and certainly the book talks a lot about them, but they're a class of herbs that have been used historically for thousands of years to provide stamina, energy, and as tonics in Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese medicine. In the past 50 or 60 years, extensive research, I'm talking about thousands of research articles, have been written on these, some based on clinical trials, some based on clinical studies where they're being just observational of people who are using them, and some based on pharmacologic research, have shown that part of the way that adaptogens work is by resetting the adrenal stress response. In fact, that's probably the biggest way that they're working. And as I've mentioned several times, the adrenal stress response is central to the regulation of what's happening in your immune system, whether you're able to control your inflammation, whether you're overreacting in your immune system and attacking yourself as an autoimmune disease, or whether you're not reacting enough until you're having suppressed immunity and getting sick you know, with every bug that you get exposed to. That's all happening with adrenal regulation amongst other things. So one of the things that we want to do whenever someone has chronic or recurrent or persistent infection, particularly Epstein-Barr virus, herpes infection, cytomegalovirus is another one is to provide deep support to the immune system, which helps your body to adapt to stress more. So if you're in a stressful time, that's going to be really helpful for you, but also helps you to actually regulate your immune response. So I recommend starting out with the more gentle, Non stimulating adaptogens, and the three that I recommend for general immune support if you're struggling with Hashimoto, so that you're not pushing your body over the edge to get overly energized. When, as I mentioned, what your body is trying to do is get you to rest more and heal more are Reishi ashwagandha, and holy basil. And I'm using reishi a little bit as a catch-all term for all of the medicinal mushrooms. Really, any of the medicinal mushrooms are very appropriate here. And then holy basil is very gentle. You can take that one actually as a tea or capsule or tincture. And ashwagandha, which is also supportive and gentle. And ashwagandha is specifically effective for musculoskeletal aches and pains. So if you're having a lot of discomfort, flu-like achy symptoms, along with having the EBV and the Hashimoto's, this can be really helpful. All of these protocols that I mentioned are very safe and appropriate if you're already on thyroid medication, so these are not, even the St. John's Wort are not contraindicated. You can take these along with Armour Thyroid or Synthroid or Cytomel, anything else that you're on. Now, I usually recommend a protocol of the herbs and supplements to be taken daily for up to three months. My experience is that you can make really big strides in turnarounds with Epstein-Barr virus and your immune system antibody levels In three months, you can feel better in even just a couple of weeks, but really big turnarounds in three months. So, I find taking them for just a couple of weeks or a month for most people, you'll start to get improvement, but isn't enough to really send that virus back to Mars or really sending it back to dormancy. And so, sticking with this over this time, and then if you're breastfeeding, you can use this protocol. You know, it's really interesting what happens in the postpartum period are also drastic and dramatic hormonal changes. So a lot of women in the postpartum period also develop Hashimoto's and other autoimmune um, symptoms. So this is a really good time to make sure that you're also double checking for EBV. You know there's really no specific conventional medical treatment that's been established for treating recurrent or chronic epstein-barr virus a lot of functional and integrative medicine doctors use an antiviral medication called acyclovir and i've used it in my patients as well which is used in the treatment of herpes and shingles and so it would be considered an off-label use you're really just extrapolating that because it's effective for herpes and shingles it may be effective for epstein-barr virus Um, I have only used it in that case when I have a patient who comes in and her thyroid antibodies are off the chain. I'm talking, you know, over 1,000, over 2,000, and her Epstein-Barr virus antibodies also come back very high. Then sometimes as part of the protocol to see if we can take a more aggressive approach out of the gate, I may use the acyclovir for a month. If she's also having herpes outbreaks, cold sores, or general herpes, then I will always add the acyclovir on if she's really, really symptomatic. And then we'll get that kind of more under control and then segue over just to the herbal protocol. But I do the herbal protocol while I'm doing the acyclovir. So again, this is not contraindicated in this case. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. And if it has, please drop a comment over on iTunes. If you haven't gotten a copy of my book, I really highly encourage you to, to grab a copy. It's not just for women who have thyroid problems or think they have a thyroid problem. You know, 30 million women almost in the United States are diagnosed with Hashimoto's. We know that probably another 15 million are walking around with symptoms and not knowing why they're tired, why they're aching, why they're not sleeping well, why they're gaining weight or having trouble losing it, why they're losing hair and having so many other symptoms that can be related to hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's. But this book is really about taking back your health. The plan in this book, the protocol in this book is appropriate really if you're struggling with other autoimmune conditions. If you're struggling with just trouble losing weight or brain fog or getting sleep or you're someone who never gets sick and then you crash and burn on the first day of your vacation. There are so many indications for the protocol in this book because what we know is that root causes are the root causes of all conditions. There aren't very many illnesses that just come out of nowhere, especially chronic illnesses that just come out of nowhere and take over our life. They happen because of these five root causes that I talk about in the book and those five root causes are the root causes that are underlying most of the symptoms and the conditions that we are, are dealing with as women. And also, the fundamental philosophy of this book is that we deserve to stay and live replenished. So if you're needing a dose of replenishment in your life, this book is for you. I hope this, art, this uh, podcast has been super helpful for you. Please share it with other women, um, women in your life, women that you know, because this is a, quite a chronic common chronic infection that most women don't know to look for and their doctors don't know to look for. So until next time, live your best, enjoy your week, and I'll talk to you soon.